Great. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year 2022. We welcome you all to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a cognitive behavior psychotherapist uh, specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one session and also do group setting. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV and coaching services at 301-325-1550. And our website is lifecoachdenamzali.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our fourth episode of season five, a very special guest, Amanda Dolan. And just like every of my past episodes, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Amanda, the floor is yours. Right. Well, my name is Amanda, and I am a mom of two amazing kids. Um, but more importantly, I am an awesome human being that is finding myself on this journey of life. Um, I'm a certified professional coach. Um, I also have a master's in psychology, although I have not practiced therapy in a long time because mom was my primary job. Um, I'm recently uh, divorced. And finding a new life as a single woman, um, my life for so long was wife and mom. I was Richard's wife and I was Emily and Jacob's mom. Very, very rarely was I Amanda. And I'm finding out who Amanda is on this crazy journey of life, which has been really exciting to figure out who I am separate from anyone else. And for me, that journey really started in March of 2016. Um, It was the darkest point in my life. I was in a really unhappy marriage. I um, was really struggling with mental illness that was undiagnosed. And um, I woke up on a Thursday morning and I was laying in bed and I made a plan on how I was going to kill myself. Not just, uh, I, I think I want to die. This was so specific and, um, it, it scared me a little, but I, I felt like it was, everyone was going to be better off without me around. And then I heard my kids laughing in the other room And something washed over me and said, Amanda, I'm not done with you yet. The Holy Spirit, the universe, whatever you want to call it, something bigger than me said, you're not done. And um, what's important to understand in my journey is I saw my first psychiatrist at 15. And when I went to see the psychiatrist, he told me, you know, Amanda, you just really have this low-grade depression Medication's not going to do anything for you. You're just going to have to learn to live with it. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, at 15, I was like, okay, I felt very defeated because I wanted to feel better. But this doctor was telling me, just deal with it. So I thought, I'm just going to deal with it. And I got to college and I saw all these people happy and living these great lives. And I was like, I want that too. I don't have that. And so I went and saw another psychiatrist and um, he said, I think you have depression. And he gave me medication and it didn't work. 
So I stopped and I was like, I guess that first doctor was right. I'm, I just have to live with this. And I got to grad school. I have a master's in psychology and I knew there was something wrong. And I think I was like, I gravitated towards psychology because my brain wasn't working the way I knew it should. And I saw another psychiatrist and during this whole time I was in and out of therapy. I mean, I was doing all the things you're supposed to do to get well. And again, diagnosed with depression, put on medication. It didn't really do anything. Um, in fact, I think I got worse that time. Um, and then, um, so that was my third psychiatrist by the time I was 23, still hadn't gotten a correct diagnosis. Did you have any suicidal thoughts at this point? Oh yes. Yes. I actually had two suicide attempts when I was in high school. Um, but again, the doctors told my parents, like one doctor told my parents that I was being dramatic and I was just seeking attention. And my dad was sick with cancer and I wasn't getting the attention that a 16, 17 year old, you know, human needs from their parents because my parents were over here dealing with my dad dying of cancer. And, and as an adult now, I see how difficult that was, especially for my mom being working full time, being a single parent, essentially, even though my dad was still there dealing with his treatment and insurance and, you know, getting us to all of our things that we had after school things and, and I, but I resented her a lot. And again, it was, why am I even here? No one's paying attention to me. Um, and, and so again, I mean, I knew something was wrong. And after my kids were born, um, actually after both of my kids were born, I struggled with postpartum depression. And after both kids were born, my OB prescribed me antidepressants and they helped for a little while. Um, and, but then they were like, well, it's been six months. So you need to go see a psychiatrist. Um, but I got pregnant with my son seven months after my daughter was born. So I didn't go see a psychiatrist cause I didn't want to take medication. And then I went, you know, saw the, I, I went and saw a psychiatrist after my son was born again, diagnosed with depression and, um, again, in therapy on and off this whole time, trying to find out myself, trying to feel good and be well and be a good mom and a good wife. And um, I, I struggled and struggled. And at 36, it was a Thursday morning in March. And I woke up and I was like, I'm, I'm going, this is it. I'm going to kill myself tomorrow. I'm not the mom I want to be. My kids deserve a mom that's present, that's happy, that can keep a clean house, that wants to spend time with them. All of these things that people forget mental illness sometimes, you know, triggers. And then my, my you know, I, I didn't feel like I was a good wife because, again, I couldn't keep a clean house. I couldn't get the dishes done all the time or the laundry or, you know, all of these things. And, and like I said, something, you know, I was laying in bed and something washed over me and said, Amanda, I am not done with you yet. 
And I reached out to a friend of mine who is a therapist and I said, I need help. I'm not okay. And um, she referred me to a therapist and I called her and she had me through email sign an agreement, a no harm agreement with her, a no harm contract. And she called my ex-husband and said, you need to stay with her. You can't leave her alone until she can get in to see a psychiatrist or she needs to go to a hospital. And all of the stars aligned in a weird way because the psychiatrist that I wanted to see, I called and his um, receptionist said, well, we're, this was in March. She, she said, we're booking out new patient appointments the end of April. And I thought there is no way I can wait until the end of April. And then she goes, oh, wait, I had someone cancel Monday at two o'clock. Can you come in Monday at two o'clock? And I was like, yes, I can. And my mom had some suicide attempts when she was about the same age that I was. And I was concerned that perhaps it was a hormonal thing. So I wanted to get in to see a doctor, um, specifically a gynecologist, because hormones and all of that. And I had not had my, my, the doctor that delivered my kids had moved And I had just seen my, you know, primary care physician for all of that stuff. And I called the doctor that was recommended by several people. And the receptionist goes, you know, she types away and she goes, first appointment is April 17th. And this was March 3rd. And I'm just like, I can't wait that long. And she goes, hold on, the other line's ringing and then I'll get your information. She puts me on hold and she comes back on and she goes, someone canceled their new patient appointment for Monday at 10. Can you come? That was the phone call with someone canceling that, their appointment. And it was a sign to me, like it furthered that I'm not done with you message that I had gotten from the universe that, because the universe was aligning all of these things. And I, you know, went to the, the appointment with a gynecologist and he drew blood and, you know, all of those things. And he was like, I don't think this is hormonal. I really think this is your meant like it's, it's mental health that you have a mental illness. I don't know what it is. I'm not an expert, but you said you have an appointment with a psychiatrist. Go, see Go do that. But we'll, we'll make, we'll figure this out. And it's important to remember that five psychiatrists at this point have diagnosed me with major depression or some level of depression. And I get to see the psychiatrist and he and I are talking and he, I felt for the first time, like a psychiatrist was really listening to me. Mm-hmm. It was not a 15 minute appointment. It was an hour long appointment. And he goes, Amanda, I think you, you have bipolar too. And I looked at him and I said, I do not, because even with a degree in psychology and knowing psychopathology, I didn't have those manic clean the house for hours and toothbrush on the, you know, grout or, or going and, you know, flying to Vegas and gambling thousands of dollars away or going and spending a bunch of money on other things. Like I didn't have those 
impulsive behaviors that so many associate with the manic episodes. Um, And I told him like three times, I was like, no, I don't, I don't have that. And he pulled out the DSM, which is, you know, the diagnostic and statistic manual that psychiatrists use. It's got all the diagnoses in it. And he flipped open to bipolar and he handed it to me and he came over and sat down next to me and he went down the list. And I was like, oh my, you are right. (laughs) And it just, I, it shocked me because it was something that I had never been told before. And I have had a lot of anxiety and there's this part of bipolar two where mania is called anxious distress, which is basically like living in a panic attack for a week or two at a time. And it's miserable, but I just thought it was my anxiety. I just thought I'm anxious. And hearing this doctor give me a different diagnosis, feeling really heard and him not just giving me the diagnosis, but him showing me um, why this was the diagnosis changed the way I viewed it. And also I didn't want bipolar. I didn't want to be diagnosed with bipolar because I felt like there was such a stigma with it. Like, Bipolar is the really crazy people. You know, everyone has some depression and depression is normal. And we all know what that looks like. But bipolar is this thing that so many people don't understand. And and I just was like, I don't want to tell people this is what I have. I don't want to, I don't want this to be what it is because it's scary and it seems more severe than just just depression. And don't get me wrong, depression is paralyzing for so many people and it affects every aspect of so many people's lives. But I felt comfortable with that diagnosis. I did not feel comfortable with a bipolar diagnosis, but he gave me medication, wrote a prescription, and I took it to the pharmacy and I got it filled. And I was like, well, what do I have to lose? I'll take it. And he had me come back in two weeks and oh my goodness, the change in just those two weeks was incredible. And I stayed on that medicine for a while and there were some side effects that I really struggled with. I've in part because of my depression, I've struggled with my weight most of my life as well. Um, and I gained a lot of weight on this medicine and I was already overweight and then gaining 60 pounds in four months. What medication did you gain that much? Um, I was on Latuda. Um, and it, it's funny because it's, it's a weight neutral medication, but what people don't understand about weight neutral medications is that some people lose and some people gain. So when they average that all together, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not like, and I was one of the ones that gained weight on it. And I talked, you know, and that was affecting my mental health because I had struggled with my weight my whole life. And when I say my whole life, my mom had me join Weight Watchers when I was eight years old. Wow. Okay. And so, um, I, I was like, this is not working for me. So we switched to a different medication, which is called Safras. And that one worked great for me. I didn't gain weight on it, 
I couldn't lose the weight, but I wasn't gaining anymore. But I had some other not so great side effects that included like some weird muscle spasms. I had a hard time sleeping on it. But also I had a, it's, I also was exhausted all the time that like I couldn't sleep on it. And I was so tired that I couldn't function. And Latuda and Safras are both relatively new medications and they're, you know, supposed to be the best. And um, I went back to the doctor and I was like, these are not working for me. And he ended up putting me on Lamictal, um, which is like a medicine that's been around forever. You know, it's, I think it's been around for 40 or 50 years now. And he was like, you know, it's an oldie, but a goodie, like, let's see if it works. Mm -hmm. And almost immediately, all of the side effects from all those other medicines went away. I had more energy than I had in a long time and I felt really good. And so I started exercising. I started swimming. And the first day I went in the pool, um, I was 322 pounds and I got in the pool and it's the pool that I swim in is 25 yards. And I swam one lap. So 50 yards, I swam down and back. And it took me about four minutes for that one lap. And then I had to rest for probably five minutes because I was so out of breath, but I did it 10 times. I did 10 laps. And the next day I went back and I did 10 laps and then the weight started coming off. I started changing my habits with eating and not big changes, all of these little changes that added up to big changes, right? You know, it's it's kind of like building a house. Like, you know, it takes a long time to build a house and you have to do it piece by piece. But at the end of the day, you have a beautiful house. And, and so that was very much what my, what this journey was for me. And it was hard and there were ups and downs and my mental health wasn't always perfect. And then my marriage started really falling apart. And looking back now, my marriage was falling apart long before that. And sometimes I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have gotten married, but I can't live in the what ifs. And I have these two absolutely incredible children that I wouldn't trade for anything. And, and I tried to fix my marriage and I, you know, I'm so much about persevering, like with my mental health, I persevered. I kept trying to get the right answer. I didn't give up and I didn't want to give up on my marriage and I didn't want to give up on my, you know, weight loss journey, my health journey, because it really was more than just weight loss. But having this really tumultuous relationship with my ex, I wasn't focusing on myself. I was scrambling to fix something that quite frankly, couldn't be fixed. It's out of your control. Yes. And, and, you know, I look back now on how much energy I spent on that. And once my marriage ended, I really was able to focus on myself because my kids were older and they were doing great in school and they were, you know, they're, I know every parent says this about their kid, right? My kid is the best. 
but they really are fantastic. And I say that because, I mean, I've gotten emails from teachers about how great my kids are and, you know, other people around me tell me that. So I, I know it's not just me, but yes, I know every parent thinks their kids are awesome. Um, because you created them. They're, you know, half of your DNA. Um, so um, I, I ended up, you know, swimming was, was my thing. I was swimming every day. And um, when I was 39, I made a list of 40 things I wanted to do before I turned 40. And this list was everything from, I want to read 40 books. I want to try 40 new recipes to, I want to text someone every day that I'm thinking about them because it was about building relationships with myself and with others. It wasn't, it was, it wasn't just making myself better. It was about pushing myself to try new things and to experience life in a way that I hadn't been able to because I was so sick. Um, and like one of my goals was to swim 5,000 yards, which that is a long swim. And I didn't actually accomplish that specifically. However, I did do an open water 4,000 meter swim, which is 2.4 miles for those that are doing the math in their head. Um, so I swam 2.4 miles. What I will tell you is I was the last person to get out of the water, the last one, but I didn't give up. I didn't stop. I kept moving um, and I kept moving forward. And sometimes I had to you know, move to my back because the waves were getting in my face and I, you know, and this was a lake and you couldn't see the water, you know, you couldn't see a foot in front of you. And, and when I got out of that lake, I broke down in tears because I knew that I was the last person because they had stopped me and said, you're the last person. We'll stay here for you. But like, if you want to stop, well, you know, you can hop on the jet ski and we'll take you back. And I was like, no, I came here to do this. And and that was yet again, this like proof to myself that amazing things happen when you keep going. And I, you know, I didn't complete my whole list of 40 things before 40. And at first I was really disappointed in myself because I had set this goal and it was a huge goal. I mean, it was big. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to do was to journal every day. And I didn't. Um, but I journaled more than I did before. And I had wanted to text or call someone every day. And I didn't. But I was more connected to people than I had been before because I had made these changes. And so instead of beating myself up for the, what I didn't do, I celebrated the, what I did do, um, which was also that year gave me the strength to leave the marriage 
in a way that felt good. Now, I mean, and ending a marriage is not easy and it doesn't feel good, but, you know, we had gone to counseling and we had started dating again and all of the things that you're supposed to do. And if I know you can't see me out there, but I'm air quoting that because it's, you know, we're told if you want to fix your marriage, this is what you do. But sometimes fixing something that's broken isn't the best choice. It's not the best, you know, you don't get the best results long-term. And the amount of weight that was lifted off of my shoulders when that marriage ended and I no longer felt like I was fighting for something that the other person wasn't fighting for too. Um, There was a sense of freedom. And so all of a sudden my health was better because I had lost a hundred pounds at that point. My mental health was better because I had done the hard work of therapy and learning how to cope better with my illness and being on medication and accepting that I was going to be on medication for the rest of my life, Um, which is something that I know a lot of people don't like to hear when it comes to mental health. You know, I'm going to get better and then I'll get off this medicine. I don't want the crutch of a medicine, but I liken medication for mental health like I would insulin for a type one diabetic because a type one diabetics pancreas doesn't produce insulin. It's, it's the way their body is. So you supplement that. And what's amazing is that we have a way to supplement that so that people can live right and thrive. And my brain doesn't work the way that a normal brain works. It doesn't have all the right chemicals and the right connections. And medication doesn't mean I'm weak. In fact, the opposite, but taking medication and it, and it shows how strong I am, that I am not giving up on myself or my kids, but, but really it wasn't until I decided I needed to do everything for me, which felt very selfish at first. It was it was so much more than that. It was because I was taking care of myself, I could take care of everyone else better. And we've all heard that, you know, when you get on an airplane, they tell you to put your oxygen mask on yourself first, because if you don't have oxygen, then you can't help anyone else. Mm-hmm. And I, when I talk to my clients, cause I primarily work with women going through divorce and almost all of them have children. And as women were taught so much that like you take care of everyone else, everyone else comes first. And I like to say that you are the son of your universe. And if you think about it, if the sun dims, like if the sun were to, the mass still exists there, but there's no light, everything on earth dies, right? Like the sun needs to exist to grow plants and to keep things warm so that we can live here and survive. And so if the sun's light goes out, just like if your light goes out because you're focused on everything else, because the sun doesn't care what happens on earth. The sun just exists. 
But also if the mass of the sun goes away, all the planets that are in its orbit are going to fly out of control and hit each other or whatever they're going to do. And then again, there's going to be no life on earth because we're out in space somewhere, you know, flying into wherever. I, I mean, I'm not a scientist, <laughs> but whatever, yeah. like whatever that is, it's going to go away. And so being selfish is really not selfish. It's, it's really showing your love for the people around you because you're caring for yourself in a way that allows you to care for others. And, and so that switch in mindset for me that really started at 36 on that March morning when I started asking for help, um, it, was, it was this huge switch that flipped for me that I am worthy of being healthy. I am worthy of being happy. Um, and I'm going to do what it takes. I, I spent 20 years trying to get, well, 21 years trying to get the right diagnosis. And I could have easily given up. And when I say give up, I mean, ended my life, give up and just said, that's it. And I didn't. And sometimes I'm like, well, how did that even happen that I had the strength to say I need help because as human beings we're so often, and I mean, I think anyone, when you ask for help, so many people think, well, I'm weak. If I need help, I can't, you know, I should do things all on my own. And I have become a firm believer in asking for help means that you're strong because you admit that you can't do it by yourself. And, and learning all of these things about not giving up and focusing on myself and the focusing on myself meant that I was a better friend. I was a better mom. I was a better daughter for the people that were in my circle was powerful to, to learn that I am important. And I'm, it, you know, like I said before, I was really embarrassed of my bipolar diagnosis and I didn't talk about it to really anyone except for those very few people that were really, really close to me. And more recently, well, probably the last four years, I'm very open about it. I talk about it all the time. I talk about you know, so many people are struggling and we don't know it because you put on this face of, I'm happy, I'm going to take care of everyone else. And all of these people around me were like, I had no idea because you were always smiling. You were always doing all these things for other people. I was the president of the PTA. I volunteered at the school. I was active in my church. I cooked meals for everyone, but I wasn't okay. And, and if I had heard from other people that I respected and that I thought had all their stuff together, like people seem to think I did, it might have changed things for me because I wouldn't have felt so alone in my struggle. 
So I don't want anyone to feel alone. So I talk about it and I write posts on Facebook and I do things like this where I talk about this crazy journey that I have been on. And it was about a year ago, um, you know, and obviously the last two years have been kind of crazy for all of us. But, but that first two weeks of the pandemic, when everything was shut down, I had a relapse of my bipolar. And I remember pacing my bedroom. I couldn't calm down. I was crying all the time. And old Amanda would have just spiraled out of control. I felt terrible for about 36 hours. And then I called my psychiatrist and I said, I am not okay. And we adjusted my meds. He gave me, he added Saffris back in. I was on it for four weeks and then came back off. And it was just like, I needed, it was a reset button. And we all need that reset button sometimes. And I talked about that very openly on Facebook. And I talked about it to my friends because I wanted others to know that this is a really hard time. And, and about six months after that, a friend reached out and said, I went and saw a psychiatrist because I knew I wasn't okay. And because you talked about your journey, I went and asked for help. And if no, if no, no one else gets anything from my journey, saving that one life makes all of the stigma of it worth it, makes all of the fear of sharing all of that. It makes my journey powerful because I wasn't alone and someone else didn't feel alone. And someone else knew that they could ask for the help and push through and and get to where they needed to be in their own way, in their own journey. And and so I think, you know, what I guess I'll leave you with is that, that asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Being selfish is actually a really beautiful and great thing. And persevering, not taking no for an answer. I say no is a complete sentence all the time to people. But also when you get a no and you still need something, you ask for it a different way or from a different person. And you don't just say, well, I, I got to know, or I got to, you're just depressed and there's nothing we can do for you. That wasn't a good enough answer for me. And yes, it took 21 years from the time I saw the first psychiatrist until I got the right diagnosis. But here I am almost six years post that diagnosis, healthier than I've ever been, happier than I've ever been, more secure in my relationships with myself and with others than I've ever been. And so it's so easy to give up and say, I'm done. And what I want people to know is it's worth the hard work because when you do it and you do it for the right reason, when you do it, not for someone else, but for you, you end up in this really beautiful space where you are 
better for everyone, for yourself, for your family, for your friends, and for your community as a whole, because the world needs every one of us. Like there is some plan in the universe for why we are all here and we all serve a purpose, whether it's for, you know, as, you know, president and taking care of a whole country to being the person that smiles at someone at the grocery store and changes that person's day just a little bit. We all have purpose and we all have to push through to find that purpose. And you find that purpose when you're 15, when you're 36, or when you're 76. It doesn't matter. You don't stop reaching for the best version of you, no matter how hard it becomes and, and what gets in your way. You say, I am important. I deserve this. The world deserves me. And so that's it. You fight for being the best you, no matter what it takes, because you are worthy of greatness. Well, that is definitely a very profound message. And uh, Amanda, I mean, all everything you said really uh, will hopefully help a lot of our listeners who are going through some similar issues, especially those that have been misdiagnosed by professionals, which I'm a bit shocked that uh, psychiatrists would not know really the symptoms of bipolar disorders, um, that they would assume that it was just depression or whatever else. But again, if you look at it as if you don't treat depression, that may cause something even worse, which may mm -hmm. be to the bipolar. So again, for them to say, oh, you know what, just deal with it. That's, that doesn't sound professional to me. But that is all the time that we have for today's episode. And I do appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule, uh, Amanda, to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season five of the Happiness Journey podcast, filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you listened to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. Albert Einstein once said, a person who never made a mistake never tried anything new. As many are so accustomed to their daily routine, they're reluctant to try anything new because of how familiar their day-to-day -day action are. As failure is imminent for everyone who tries something new, fear can stop anyone on their track to try anything that is outside of their comfort zone. If you don't try, you will always fail. Most people in hospice will tell you the same thing. They never regret the things they did in life. They always regret the things they didn't do or dream to do. Let that sink in for a second. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.